There we go. Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning to all of you over Zoom who can join us. Good to see you all. A couple of things before I get started. Um, college students, lunch at our house today after service. We'd love to have you. Um, and Emily, Lord willing, will be a member, officially a member of our church next Sunday, 10-year celebration. So that'll be exciting. Let us know if you have any questions. Um, thank you all for praying for Josh. Uh, I know many of you heard that he was feeling sick. Um, praise God, it seems like he's doing better. And so we thank you for your care for them, uh, the family, for Josh. Um, and so with that, uh, please open up your Bibles with me to John. We're going to be in John 12. Mainly you're going to be in verses 36 through 43. John 12, 36-43. Let me read and pray. Jesus says, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being with us this morning. Lord, it is our comfort It is our joy that you are with your people. Father, would you open our minds, would you soften our hearts to hear from your word? Uh, Lord, may we be attentive to what it is that you have uh, for us this morning. Uh, Would you do a great work in us to conform conform each of us, Lord, to the image of your Son. Father, I pray that we would be a church and a people, uh, Lord, that would long to see your glory that would seek to please you in every way, and, Father, that would not fear uh, before man. So help us, Lord, this morning. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, for context in our passage this morning, um, I'm going to read verses 26, actually 27 through 35. 35, yes, 35. Um, So we just read and follow along with me. Uh, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. But others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. 
And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Actually, let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. Well, this morning, um, as we see, and we get a context from our passage, the question for the Jews is, will they believe that Jesus is, is who he says that he is? Jesus, at this point, he knows that his time to die is drawing near. Okay, he hints to them, you know, this is what kind of death I'm going to die. And after Jesus reveals all of this to them, the people still had a lingering question. Who is the Son of Man? Who is the Son of Man? Verse 34. Okay, so the question, the question before the people is, will they believe in Jesus? Will they believe that he is who he says that he is? And this morning, for you, church, my goal is for you to be able to consider and think as we've been working through the Gospel of Luke. Okay, we've been working through Luke for quite some time now. We've been hearing the stories of Jesus. We've been seeing what Jesus has done. And so as we study and we continue to finish off Luke, the question for you is the same question. Will you believe that Jesus is who he says that he is? So let me read verse 36 and 37. So people wonder, who is the Son of Man? And so Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. Jesus, the light of the world, is exhorting the people to believe in him. Okay? But do they? Do they? Let's keep reading. Um, when Jesus has said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Okay? Our passage tells us that though he had done so many signs, the people did not believe in Jesus. Even though they had the privilege to see things that no one else has seen, that no one else will ever see, they had seen miraculous signs. They had seen things that only God could do. They saw so much, and yet they still failed to believe. Now, the verse doesn't tell us explicitly which, um, which miracles they saw, right? Uh, but what it does tell us is it's not just some random tiny miracle that they saw. The passage tells us that they saw so many signs. Okay? Now, from the context, we can almost assume that right, you know, right before this is when Jesus actually raised Lazarus from the dead. So many of the people there, we can assume, were there when Jesus actually raised a dead man and brought him to life. So think about it. Many were there, and many still did not believe after seeing Jesus raise the dead man and bring him to life. Some of those people saw a dead body, and then saw a raised body, and yet still did not believe. Okay. What will it take for us to believe? Okay, let me exhort you with this as an aside. Don't trust in earthly things, okay, to, in things of this world, to change people's hearts. Okay? If people have their hearts set on not believing, not even seeing Jesus himself raise a dead man from the dead will change their hearts. Trust that unbelievers have everything that they need. Okay? They have everything they need to believe, and yet they refuse to see the light and the truth that is in front of them. Because faith is not something that comes from the effort of man. 
It doesn't come from your own effort. It doesn't come from your effort to change somebody else's heart. It is a gift from the Almighty God. Okay, so don't put hope in earthly things that cannot save. Okay, so you may be asking, well, what kind of things do we put our hopes in? Next time you're sharing the gospel, okay, and you're trying to do it faithfully, and you know that you're probably going to miss up, don't get so down on yourself if you don't have the exact words that you want to say. Okay? I was just thinking about this week, we were, a few of us were out on campus, and we had some guy come up to us just abruptly and be like, why did Jesus die? And I was just kind of thrown off. What, what is he? And it's just like, you know, like it's one of those moments where like, I'm not ready for your kind of question right now, even though I should be. Okay, so it's, it's, we all do it, and it's okay. Okay, the majority of people who listened to Jesus did not believe. Have you thought about that? But now, are you more eloquent than Jesus? Are you more convincing than Jesus? Don't put so much pressure on yourself. Another way, see things like, apologetics, like arguments, logical arguments, see them like as a helpful tool. But think about it. What better apologetic argument could you ever use than actually raising a dead man, okay, and seeing him live and walk and talk with you and eat with you, okay? For some people, nothing will be enough. The question for you is, what will it take for you to believe in Jesus and who he says that he is? What do you need? What has Jesus not done to show you that he's good, that he's trustworthy. Church, trust in him. For some, nothing will be enough. Why is that? Let's keep reading. Verse 38. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Okay, here, Isaiah, from a long time ago, looks to Jesus, and he points out the fact that believing is something that cannot be accomplished by anything other than the power of God. God is the one who decides who will believe. Verse 39, therefore, they could not believe. They could not believe. Stop right there. The reality is that there are some people who will not believe, this passage tells us. Okay? We know that from our own experience. The sad thing. There will be some who will never believe in Jesus. You may say, well, doesn't that make God harsh? You know, why, why wouldn't he save everybody? You know, but does it make God harsh? Okay, Joel helpfully reminded us last week that um, God desires all men to be saved. That is his desire. God cares. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. So God in his grace, he really does desire that all people would come to know him, and yet... There is something more important than all men being saved. Okay? Not all are going to be saved. Some are not going to believe. In fact, we see that God himself is the one who blinds their eyes. Verse 40. He, God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Okay, pay close attention to this. I don't want you to... Think of God for who he is not, but I do want you to know God for who he is. Verse 41, 2. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah wrote this of the Son of Man, Jesus, the Messiah who was to come. He saw Jesus' day, and he saw that he would blind the eyes of some and harden the hearts of some. But now, why, why would God do this, right? Our view of God sometimes does not match with a God that would do this. When you're talking to someone and say, I cannot believe in a God who would do this. And yet we see here that God's word 
The revelation of himself tells us this is something that God does, okay? Don't hear what I'm not saying. People are fully culpable, okay? People choose to do this. It's not like God is making them do something that they don't want. They are fully culpable. Okay? God will save some and will go over, pass over some. So why would he do this? Why would he, why would he not save everybody? Okay, and I'm going to answer this. This is a short answer, which I'm going to explain here further in a second, is uh, to show his glory. Okay? There's nothing more important to God than to display his glory. That is his primary purpose in everything that he does. Every single thing that God does, will do, has done, is to show his glory to the world. Isaiah himself saw that glory okay, a long time ago and wrote of him. And what is that glory? Okay, when you think of glory, what do you think of? The idea of uh, glory in the Bible is tied with the concept of value or worth. Okay, when something is glorious, it means it has great importance. When we say that Jesus is glorious, we think of his magnificence, his beauty, his honor, his splendor. There is something so wonderful about the person of Christ that it is worthy for all of us to see it. Okay, think about it. Just like a diamond, a beautiful diamond, is meant to be displayed for all to see, to see its beauty, not to be hidden away. And how much more, then, is Jesus' glory meant to be displayed for all and not concealed, out of sight? So ask yourself, have you experienced, have you tasted, have you seen the goodness and the glory of Christ? What is glorious about Christ? Everything about him is glorious. He is worthy of all of your praise. The problem is, right, we don't often think of him as such. He's an afterthought in all of our minds. Now, the, one of the best ways for us to think of him rightly in his glory, right, is when we meditate upon Jesus on the cross. That is one of the places where we see God's eternal love displayed for all, his glory, as he loves and saves his people. The fact that the Son of God would actually give of his life to save mankind. And not just all, without regard, but to those who would treasure that glory. Okay, so God, God's purpose is to glorify himself. So why would he still, that still doesn't answer my question, Esteban, right? There's still some people who, couldn't he just have saved some and glorified himself? Why would he do it this way? Why couldn't he have just saved everybody? Well, let me ask you again, what is more important? You have to think to yourself. Okay, sometimes we think that the salvation of people is the most important thing in the world, but there is something of greater importance, and that is God in his glory, that we would see him as he is. Okay, I want every single one of you to understand that Jesus did not come primarily to save you. Okay? He, he came to save you. If you're in Christ, he came to save you. He saw you, he knew your name, he loved you, he died for the penalty of your sins, but that was not his primary goal. His primary goal was to glorify the Father. I think we lost the Zoom call one second. Are we back? Joseph, let me know what people say. Thank you. Where was I? God's glory, right, is the most singular, most important thing in all the universe. Okay, so hear me clearly. God made it so, salvation of some and not the others, because he knows that his glory would best be displayed for all to see by the salvation of some and the destruction of others. Okay, so you ask, well, God, everything that God does is for display his glory. How could hell be glorious? 
how could God passing over some and letting them go to hell and suffer forever, how could that be glorious? How could that display God's glory? Okay, in order to answer this, understand, His glory is not just revealed in His saving of you. There's so much more to God's glory than that. We just want to focus on His love, right, and His salvation, but God is so much more than that. God is glorious in His justice. He wants us to see Him as such. He is a just God who will not let the wicked get away. His justice is worthy of our worship. And we see God's justice in the condemnation of the unrepentant. Secondly, God wants us to see him as a merciful God. Merciful God. His mercy is best understood when we contrast it with his wrath. And we see his wrath in hell. His holiness, thirdly, his holiness. He wants us to see him as holy. And how holy is this God that we serve? He is so holy that he hates sin, everything that is wrong, everything that is sinful that goes against him. He hates it. And so he pours his wrath upon sinners. Church, hear this. Both heaven and hell display God's glory. Both heaven and hell display God's glory. Therefore, it follows that some will not be saved. There's a purpose, right, for God to have hell in place, and he does everything for the glory of his name. Now, if this is the first time that you're hearing something like this, like sometimes it can be a little like, whoa, what is this guy saying? Right? But I, my goal here is just to try to expound to you what God's word says and explain to you why would God blind the eyes of some and harden the hearts of some, okay? If you have questions, please ask. Don't just get up and say, well, I'm never coming back to that church again. Uh, Give us a chance, okay? Give us a chance. If you have questions, give us a chance. Let us talk with you. Uh, If you have issues, we would really love to walk with you, okay? But I do want you to believe, okay? One of the questions you have to ask yourself is, will you believe? This is an overarching question. Will you believe? Uh, Jesus and what he says and what he does is good. And so will you believe that even hell plays a role in his glorification? Okay, let's go back to our passage. Verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. As we get to this next point, um, again, the question, even here, you know, Jesus is quoting Isaiah to help the people see, okay, You believe in the Old Testament. Look at the Old Testament. Prophet Isaiah, he prophesied of me. What else do you need to believe in me? Will they believe in Jesus? Will they believe in Jesus? Not for you. Will you believe in Jesus? For those of you who are listening to this and you have not trusted in Christ as your Savior, will you believe that Jesus is who he says that he is? Will you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? that he is the light, that he is the only hope for salvation, that he has paid the penalty for your sins on the cross. If you're listening to this and you have not chosen, your time is short. Young people, if you have not chosen Christ as your Savior, choose God. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus today. Now, what if you have believed? Okay, For those of you... Um, who have come to that point and God has shown you your sin and you realize that there's no hope for you other than believing in Jesus. What is the question for you? Similar one, right? Will you believe that Jesus is who he says that he is? And what do I mean? He's more than just a savior, right? He doesn't just save you and leave you. He's with you through your sanctifications. He wants to make you more like himself. And I want you to believe in him and trust in him for all that he is. 
So give me some, let me give you some examples. The question is, will you believe what God says in every area of life? Okay, even in the difficult ones. Will you believe what God says in every area of life? So some examples. For those of you who love money and who believe that money will give you happiness and security, will you believe Jesus' words that he is the one who richly provides you with everything to enjoy? Number two. For those of you who seek pleasure in sexual immorality, will you believe Jesus' words that sexual immorality will actually lead to your death? Will you believe instead that God's design for sex within the bounds of marriage is good, it's for your good, that it will actually give you true and lasting pleasure? Will you believe that God created your body? Your body was created for God's glory. Thirdly, for those of you who have made idols, of earthly things. Will you believe Jesus' words that idols are nothing? They will never, ever give you what you want. And instead, will you see Jesus as all-satisfying? Fourthly, for the many of us, many of you who constantly worry, okay, one thing after another, one thing gets resolved, the next thing you're already worried again. Okay, whether it be money, whether it be your studies, you know, whatever it may be for you, if you constantly worry, will you believe Jesus' words that he knows all of your needs? Okay? Whatever you need, your father knows them. He cares for you. And will you believe when he tells you not to worry? Because all these things will be added to you. Okay? This is an exercise of faith, daily faith. Will you believe that all things work together for good, even in your hardest of trials, that God is working all things out for the good of his people, of his loved ones, even when it doesn't seem like it? Trust in God's eternal plan above your own. Lastly, will you have faith you know, to see children as a blessing, you know, whether you have children or not? Will you see children as a blessing, as God's Word says, rather than a burden? And that goes to those who have kids already. Okay? Will you see them as a blessing, not as a burden? Every single one of us, okay, as Christians, we have the choice to make every day. Will we walk in faith through what God says? Or will we follow our desires every day? So many things are fighting for our affection, for our belief. Choose me, choose me, things that the world say. So church, Bloomington Bible Church, will you believe in God's word that Jesus is who he says that he is? Verse 42. Nevertheless, Many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Okay, we see, the amazing thing is that the authorities believed. Okay? There were some who would believe. And there's just like many today, right, who they may have believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but it's a really, really sad thing to stop there. Right? It's a sad thing to say, oh, I believe, and that's all there is. They believed in Jesus, and yet for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. Why? They feared that they would be put out of the synagogue. What kept the Jewish authorities from confessing Christ as Lord? Okay? What kept them from following Jesus? Fear. Okay? Fear kept them from being followers of Jesus, from following him everywhere he went. Fear. Fear of man, specifically here. They feared what the Pharisees could do to them. 
And what is that that they could do to them? They could put him out of the synagogue. Now, what does this mean? It means that the authorities were more afraid of the Pharisees and what they could do to them than what God would do to them. At the core of their fear, they fear the Pharisees because they knew that confessing Jesus would mean that they would be disgraced in the eyes of the people. And they could not bear being disgraced. They loved the reputation too much. Verse 43, our last verse. And I just, this is verse that stuck with me for so long, and I just want it to ring in your ears. Verse 43. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What a sad thing to be said about you, right? What a sad, sad thing to be said about you, that you love the glory of man more than the glory of God. You know me. You know that fear of man has been a constant fight in my life, right? I need this just as much as all of us need it. And that's why I've been thinking about this passage for so long now. In church, one of our goals, like as one of your elders and all of us are elders, we want this passage, this verse, to not be the case for you. Okay? We don't want you to love the glory of man more than the glory of God. I don't want this to be said of our church. My longing is for you to love the glory of God, the glory that comes from God, and to see it as far surpassing than the glory that man could give you. Okay, more on that in a second. But again, glory. What is this glory? Sometimes it's a fuzzy term. This idea of worth, like I said already. It's like the, the idea of, of the word glory is tied with weight, okay, with, with value, with worth. And so in some ways, the authorities derive some sort of value about who, uh, who they are based on the opinion from the Pharisees, okay? They saw their value tied with what the Pharisees thought of them, what the people thought of them. And the fact that the Pharisees saw them in uh, high regard brought them great honor and admiration. Whoa, the Pharisees think highly of me. I better not mess this, mess this up. Okay, they felt like they were more valuable. Calvin says it this way. Is when, when they says that they love the glory that comes from man, it means that they loved their reputation. They loved their reputation. But do you see just how fruitless this is? Right? How fruitless this is. It is so fruitless to seek the admiration of, from man. There's just one example here. How great do these men look to us today? These authorities. We don't even know their names. We don't know anything about them. Do we see them in high regard? No. We see them as, why, why would you choose the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God? Why would you choose the praise from man more than the praise from God? It's silly. So why would they do it? Now the question, the thing is, church, you do the exact same thing, right? You do the same thing. Anytime you're concerned about what others will think of you or say about you, you are valuing the opinion of man more than the opinion of God. When you choose, okay, think about a small group, when you're talking to a friend, when you choose not to confess your sin, okay, you know there's something that you need help with, but you choose not to confess that sin for fear that others are going to think less highly of you, you're fearing man rather than God. When you shy away from speaking truth because you do not want to hurt your reputation, you're doing the exact same thing that the authorities did. So my warning for you today is to not let fear, the fear of man, keep you from confessing Christ, from following after Christ wholeheartedly. Okay? Not just as a Savior, but in all of your life. Because fear can keep you from living for God. Fear can keep you from living for God. 
Here the authorities failed to follow Jesus because of fear of what others would say. And I don't, Christian, I don't want this to be the case for you. Today, we live in a world full of fearful Christians, right? Full of fear. Instead, what we need is men who will choose to live for God regardless of what the world thinks. We need strong men who are not fearful men. We need men who do not regard their status, nor their appearance, not what others are going to say, but we care about keeping the law of God and seeing Him glorified. In such a dark culture, we need strong men who will fight without fear, who will uphold truth, who will love without fear. So your call, church, is to seek to please God more than you seek to please man. Let me ask you some questions in application. Are you ashamed of what the Bible says? Are you afraid of telling others what God's Word says about topics like homosexuality? Is that something you're like, ooh? How about the differences in between how, how God made men and women? Is that something that you just kind of want to shy away from and not tell people? Are you ashamed? When you are, Whose glory are you seeking? Second question. Are you afraid to live for God in the workplace? Are you afraid to live for God in the workplace? Are you afraid to do something that would upset your bosses, that would compromise you, that you would do it because you really want that race, you really want that reputation in your workplace? You don't want to be seen, right, as that weirdo Christian, and so, oh, I better watch out what I say and do because I don't want others' opinions on me to change. When you do that, whose glory are you seeking? Thirdly, are you afraid of sharing the gospel with your family? Are you afraid of sharing the gospel with your family? Talking about the things of God with your family? Are you afraid of entering into conflict, maybe even with extended family, in order to protect your family? You maybe miss church more than you should because you don't want to say no to family. I want you to be wise and not act in fear. Last question for students here. Are you afraid of what others are going to say when they find out that you're a Christian? Are you afraid of what they're going to say when you find, they find out you're a Christian? And for you young ones, are you afraid to rebu- rebuke a fellow believer? When you see somebody walking in sin, are you afraid to say something because you fear upsetting them? When you do that, whose glory are you seeking? Okay, so let me end with this. Let me end with this this morning. It is a folly to fear man. It's just foolish. Calvin said it this way, Can anything be more foolish, or rather, can anything be more beastly than to prefer the silly applause of men to the judgment of God? But he declares that all who shrink from the hatred of men, when the pure fate ought to be confessed, are seized with this kind of madness. Is that you? Okay. We're going to end with this. It is foolish to fear men because God has something better in store for you. God has something far better in store for you. The folly of fearing man. And first, before I even get to that, let me give you a quick illustration, right? So let's say you know that the, your favorite meal, you're going to get that for dinner. In two hours, you're going to get your favorite meal, whatever that may be. Visualize it in your mind. Get hungry for lunch right now. You're going to get your favorite meal for dinner, okay? And it's 3 o'clock. You know, in two hours, you're going to get your favorite meal. You're really, really, really hungry, right? Because you know that something good is coming if someone comes and tells you, oh, you're hungry, here, take this loaf of bread. It's a little, you know, moldy, but, you know, it's fine. You can still eat it. 
You're that hungry that it even looks, it even looks good. But because you know that there's something better waiting for you, you say, no, 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 I don't want to ruin my appetite. I want to enjoy the good meal that is coming. Okay? Well, I don't want you to act instead like hungry men who feel like they don't know when their next meal is going to come, right? If you're really hungry and someone offers you a loaf of bread, you're going to take them take gladly and eat all of it because you don't know the next time you're going to eat. But that is not how Christians are. That is not how God made his people. You're children of God. He has something better in store for you. Act instead like sons of the king, like those who know that a banquet awaits them. Don't settle. So I have four ways in which we see that it is a folly to fear man. First one that I want you to consider is see who it's coming from. Okay? See who it's coming from. We have to choose glory comes from man, the glory comes from, man, from God. It's foolish to choose the glory comes from man because see who it's coming from. Okay? Think about it. As an, if you were an employee of a company, who would you rather get praise from? The CEO of the company or the guy in the cubicle next to you? Right? It's, it's a no-brainer then why would you ever settle for the praise of man when the maker of the, and the ruler of the universe is ready to exalt you? So see who it's coming from. Secondly, see how long it lasts. Okay? See how long it lasts. The praise of man may feel good, you know, that it's leading. How long is it going to last? One day you may be praised by the world, and the next day they will turn on you. Okay, it doesn't last. And even, okay, even if you manage to be admired for all of your life, you know what comes to all of us? It comes death. Death comes to all of us. And very few are remembered. Contrast that with God's glory, his exaltation. God's glory, which extends for all of eternity. Okay? Eternity is just such a mind-blowing concept. You cannot comprehend how this life is absolutely nothing with eternity that we're going to spend with Christ. God's glory extends for all of eternity. So why would you settle for something so small like the admiration of people now when eternity in the favor of God is offered to you? So see how long it lasts. See who it's coming from. Thirdly, see what it will cost you. See what it will cost you to fear man. Loving the praise of man will lead to your destruction. Loving the praise of man will keep you from following Jesus will lead to compromises. It will separate you from your dear Savior. Now the glory that comes from God, it, will, it could cost you some, right? It could cost you friends in this world. It costs you a job. It could cost you money when you do things you know, for the praise of God rather than for the praise of man and for your own praise. But what is that? You know, what is that even in comparison with the judgment of God? So see and compare what it will cost you. And lastly, see the surpassing value of one over the other. See the surpassing value of the one over the other. It's just not even a comparison. Okay? In one, you may be loved and admired by a few. But with God, you're going to enjoy surpassing glory in all of creation. You will be exalted above the angels. It is far better and superior so I want you to see the glory that comes from God as far greater than anything you can get in this life. It is foolish to settle for the glory that comes from man because God has a glory reserved for you. So don't cut yourself short. Await, wait, wait for the true God, for his plan. And don't treasure man's glory when more is offered to you.
the church, my exhortation this morning is to see God's glory as far as that's the most important thing in the whole universe. To see God's glory as the main purpose of all that he's done. For you to think, well, I believe Jesus in every area of my life. And I want you to exhort you to believe and to wait on God. Because he tells you that he's preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Regardless of your affliction now, regardless of how you will suffer, eternal weight of glory awaits you. And God himself is the one who will exalt you at the proper time if only you would humble yourself and cast yourself upon him. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we need your help with this, Father. We are so easy to please sometimes. And Lord, I ask that you would forgive us uh, for the ways in which we um, see man as more important than you, see the praise of man as more valuable. Lord, would you help us? Would you strengthen our hearts? Would you help us to not fear but to be bold in our proclamation of you? Would you help us to walk in faith, Lord, in love? Trusting what your word says, trusting that you are who you say that you are, trusting that if we have you, we have the greatest gift that we could ever receive. Father, we need this exhortation daily, Father, and I pray that as a church that we would heed to it. Well, your word says in First Peter five sixty seven, it calls us to humble ourselves. Lord, would we humble ourselves as a church under the mighty hand of God? And may we do this so that at the proper time, you would exalt us. May we not exalt ourselves. Would you exalt us at the proper time? Would you help us to be patient and wait? Lord, help us as we cast all our anxieties on you. Lord, there are many. There is much that is on our, our minds. Would you help us to cast all our anxieties on you because you care for us? You care for us. Lord, what a precious thing that is that you would care for each one of us. So, Lord, help us to live in faith this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. No um, closing song this morning. Um, so I just want to thank you again for coming. Uh, let me give you your benediction as we go forth. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You are loved, church.